Thank you, Terry and Sharon. Turn your Bibles again to the book of Ephesians, please. Ephesians chapter 5. You know, because of my heart issues, I've been put on a low-sodium diet. And I found there's so many foods that do not taste good without salt. You found that to be true? Corn on the cob. You ever tried to eat that without butter or salt? Uh, Baked potato without butter or salt just isn't worth eating. (laughs) And there's so much. I found steak. I love steak. And steak without salt may be good, but when steak has salt on it, it's great. And so this morning I talk about key ingredients to being a great dad. Hope that you don't want to be just a good dad. You want to be a great dad. And there are some ingredients that is necessary in order for you to do, do that. I'd like to look at those this morning. I hope you use your Bibles. We're going to turn to several scriptures. Take out your notes from your bulletin and follow along from the, uh, from the screen. First of all, the first key ingredient to being a great dad, I want to use the word leading. Leading or leadership. How important that is in the home uh, for children to have a dad that's in leadership. Ephesians 5, please. Uh, First of all, leading as the head of the home. Look in verse 23, please. Leading as the head of the home. Verse 23, Ephesians 5. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church and is the savior of the body. The word head refers to authority. There is an authority structure in the home that God's established. And the one in authority, the one in charge is the dad, the father. He's the, husband, he's the head of the wife. That does not mean he's superior in intellect or, uh, or spiritually. In fact, I found many times wives are smarter than the husbands. I found sometimes they're more spiritual than the husbands. But yet God has placed the husband, the man, to be the head of the home. If you would, please, keep your finger right there. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, please. 1 Corinthians 11. Another verse that deals with this same subject. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, page 1613, if you're using a church Bible. Many verses will be on the screen. The ones that we turn to, I'll try to call the page number to them so you can follow along with us. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. The Apostle Paul said to the church of Corinth, But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. If you notice, first of all, there's an authority structure in heaven. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it tells us here the head of Christ is God. So in in heaven, there's authority structure. It does not mean the Father is superior to the Son. Or the Son superior to the Holy Spirit. They're all equal. But in heaven, God established authority structure. The Bible says, God the Son always said, I always do uh, that which is pleasing to my Father. He always sought to please his Father and submit to his authority. There's also authority structure in the home. It says here, Head every man is Christ. The final authority in the home is Jesus Christ. is God's word. But unto him... It says the head of the man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So in, in the Christian home is Christ, the word of God, there's the husband, there's the wife, and there's children. Again, that doesn't mean the husband's superior. God the Father is not superior to his son. They're equal. 
but the same is true in the home. The husband is not superior to his wife. They're equal in many aspects. But in authority, God's established the husband to be the head of the home. God leads the family through the husband. If he wants to give direction, give uh, insight or direction for the family, he does through the husband. And many homes do not have a father, do not have a man. Therefore, God does lead through the wife, through the woman there. But when a man's there, God leads the family through the home. He's the head of the house. So if you want to be successful as a dad, it begins with leading as the head of the home. Number two, the next way to be, uh, to be leadership is by loving and honoring your wife. By loving and honoring your wife. Look in Ephesians 5, verse 25. First of all, let me give you ways the, which the husband can love their wives. Two ways mentioned here in which the husband can love his wife. Verse 25 First of all, he says, as Christ loved the church. The husband has loved his wife as Christ loved the church. Verse 25, Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So basically, in my home, I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Now, how did Christ love the church? It goes on to say, and he gave himself for, him, for her, it. In other words, the husband loved his wife selflessly, sacrificially, and unconditionally. In other words, even though our wives may not be everything we want them to be, they may not be, uh, in many ways, to make us happy, we are to love them unconditionally, sacrificially, and selflessly. We do not put ourselves first, we put them first. That's the way we love them. Love them as Christ loved the church. But also the second way the husbands love his wife, it says in verse 28, as their own bodies. The husbands love his wife as their own body. Verse 28, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Look in verse 29. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it, cherisheth it, and even as the Lord, the church. You know, many times we hear of husbands abusing their wives. But rarely do you ever hear a husband abusing himself. <laughs> but the Bible says we're to love our wives as our own body. You know, when my body hurts, it gets a lot of tension from me. When I'm tired, it gets a lot of tension from me. Yet the Bible says I'm to love my wife as I do my own body. When she hurts, she should get my attention. When something's wrong, she should have my attention because I'm to love her as my own body. These two words, nourisheth and cherisheth, uh, two words express the responsibility of the husband in providing for his wife's needs in order to help them grow spiritually and provide warm and tender affection to give her comfort and security. So husband, you need to lead in the home to be a successful dad, also to love your wife as Christ loved the church. But then also, we're not to love our wives, we're to honor our wives. Honor our wives, that means to respect. Go with me now to 1 Peter chapter 3, please. 1 Peter chapter 3. Let me give you reasons why a husband should honor his wife. We saw ways to love our wives. Now, let me give you reasons to honor your wife. The word honor means respect. I believe there are many children, teenagers, that disrespect their mothers because the husband, the father, disrespects the mother. And yet the Bible says we are to show respect, to honor our wives. 1 Peter chapter 3, page 1706. 1 Peter 3. 
Here's a verse speaking to husbands. It says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, talking about your wives, according to knowledge, talking about understanding, giving honor unto the wife as the what? Weaker vessel. Not weaker spiritually, not weaker intellectually, but physically. Generally, the husband is stronger than the wife is. And we're to honor them as a weaker vessel. Now, Peter gives us two reasons why. Why should I honor my wife? First of all, because you are heirs together of the grace of life. It says, it goes on to say, as being heirs together of the grace of life. The word grace refers to blessing, to favor, and benefit. All the blessings bestowed upon a home is bestowed upon the couple, not the individual. You are heirs together of the grace, the favor, the blessings of life. One reason you should honor her. The next reason is necessary for an answered prayer. The second reason to honor your wife is it's necessary for answered prayer so that your prayers be not hindered. Men, if you ever notice your prayers not being answered, maybe you're going to ask yourself, how am I treating my wife? How am I showing respect and honoring her? As scripture says, and it says, if you don't, that your prayers will be hindered. So basically, leading is essential to be a good dad as the head of the home in loving, honoring your wife. And the next area you need to lead in is in discipline of your children. Leading in the discipline of your children. Go back now to Ephesians chapter 6, please. Ephesians 6. We're talking about leadership and how important this is to be a great dad as the head of the home, as loving and honoring your wife, but also in the discipline of your children. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Notice who God addresses here in the discipline of the children. Ephesians 6, 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but to bring them up in the nurture and amnish the Lord. Notice here God directs, speaks to the father as the one responsible for discipline. Again, because he's the head of the home. First of all, he tells us what the fathers are not to do. What the fathers are not to do. He says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. How does a dad provoke his children to wrath? The word wrath means to exasperate, to anger, to frustrate. So how would I as a dad provoke my children to wrath? First of all, it can be done by unreasonable demands or petty rules. <laughs> the other day, my wife and I were driving over. My granddaughter was in the back seat, and she was just singing to the top of her lungs. I mean, so loud, she was drowning out the radio. And my wife could tell me that it was bothering me, and I was going to say something. She put her hand on my arm and says, let it go. That means she's happy. <laughs> and how true that is. Many of you know my grandchildren. They both were delivered out of a very bad home, place in foster care, and they were adopted by my daughter. And to know she's in the back just singing, singing means so much. That means she's happy. Just yesterday, my daughter came over to our house with her two granddaughters with a great big Father's Day card that had Batman and Robin on the front of it and, and said to me how I was their hero. And so what it meant to me, uh, when the, one of them first came home to our house, being delivered out of a very bad home life, uh, she was petrified. She was terrified. Just, just awful, especially of men. When I came in the house, she just, just she ran in another room. 
my wife went in there, and she was saying, when's he, when's he leaving? When's he leaving? We don't know what happened. Evidently, some man did something to her, and she was petrified. But now, yesterday, she came in the house, jumped on my lap, and said, Granddaddy, I love you. And so, but anyway, uh, she can sing all she wants to. And so, basically, one way we can frustrate our children is by unreasonable demands. By the way, there are times children should sit straight and not talk. But in many cases, let them be noisy because usually it means they're happy. Another way you can frustrate or bring your children to wrath is by favoritism. Showing favoritism. Showing favoritism of one child over another child. Can you think of an Old Testament family that had multitude of problems because the father showed favoritism? How about Jacob? Jacob. He favored Joseph over all his other sons. He had 12 sons and said he loved Joseph more than his other sons because of his a son of his old age. And what did that do to the home? It almost destroyed the home because the other brothers hated Joseph because of the favoritism that uh, Jacob showed him. Another way to provoke your children to wrath is by hypocrisy, by living one way and expecting your children to do just the opposite. I mean, the other day I heard there was a dad who was, her son had a foul mouth, and he learned it from his father. And the father, the the son said a bad word. The father took off his belt and spanked his son for doing exactly what he does. You're talking about provoking your children to wrath, how that does. So listen to me, dads. In our unreasonable demands, petty rules, favoritism, hypocrisy, we provoke our children to wrath. When Paul wrote this, listen carefully, in, in the pagan world of Paul's day, Even in many Jewish households, most fathers ruined their families with a rigid, domineering authority. The desires and welfare of the wives and children was seldom considered. The apostle makes clear that the Christian father authority over children does not allow unreasonable demands and structures that might drive his children to anger, despair, and resentment. So one way you can be uh, a good father is by not provoking your children wrath. But another way, it goes on to say what the father should not do, but here it tells what the father should do. The rest of that verse, it says, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So what the fathers do, first of all, the word nurture has the idea of training through disciplinary correction and chastening. It speaks of physical discipline. You know, it's sad today, there, we are now having a generation of young believers have families that do not believe in spanking their kids. They say if you hit your child, the, the child will become violent. Now, that may be true if you slap your child across the room and hit him with your fist. But God's put a place on the child which is good for spanking, and you're sitting on it. <laughs> and uh, it, this spanking that's not abusive does not make a violent child. It makes an obedient child. And... So basically, the Bible speaks about discipline. In fact, discipline, physical discipline, is God's idea. And for a parent not to physically discipline the children at times has been disobedient to Scripture. Let me give you examples of that. Proverbs 19, 18. Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Many children learn, if I cry, I won't get a spanking. So they start crying ahead of time. God says, spare not for the crying. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: 
Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof giveth wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. So the father is not only to bring up the child and nurture, but also admonition of the Lord. The word admonition speaks of verbal correction. The word nurture, in fact, Hebrews 12, 5. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. That's the exact same word as nurture. God chastens his children. We should do the same. But also an admonition means verbal correction. Child need not, not only need many times physical correction, but verbal correction. Proverbs 29:17. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Listen to me, dads. This correction can be both positive and negative. But someone said this, with every, you ought to give 10 praises for every one criticism. 10 praises for every one criticism. So often we give 10 criticism and maybe rarely give any praise. So if you want your children not to raise that to be critical, praise, praise, praise them. Find something in their life that's worth uh, praising them about. So give 10 praises for every one criticism. But these two terms, talking about nurture and admonition, cover all the interventions which contribute to the moral, spiritual training of a child. So the first key ingredient is leading. Leading is head of the home. Leading is loving and honoring the wife and the uh, discipline of the children. Number two, the second key ingredient for a great dad is the word succeeding. Not only leading, but succeeding. First of all, succeeding and being a godly example. Succeeding and being a godly example. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, I'll just quote the verse. It's that Paul said to the believers in Corinth, he said, Be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. He said, Christians, follow me as I follow Christ. Every dad should be able to say that. Hey, kids, follow your dad. You know, as I believe God distills in every child, especially sons, to be like their dad. I long to be like Carl Peterson. When he walked, on, uh, walked down the road, I tried to walk behind him and put my feet where he put his feet. He was over six foot, had a lot much longer stride, so I had to really step. But I wanted to be just like my dad. I wanted to talk like my dad, walk like my dad. God just puts that in children. And so the best thing a Christian dad can do to be a great dad is be the right example. Every mother should point at their father and say, children, be like him. Do like your dad does. So for me to be a great dad, I need to be a godly example. Next. Oh, let me think of this. Dads, your kids may not be everything you want them to be, but chances are they'll be a lot like you. Let me say that again. As your kids grow up, they may not be everything you want them to be, but chances are they'll be just like you. So I'm trying to say being the right kind of person, if you expect the right kind of person. The next way we ought to succeed in, not only succeed in being a godly example, but succeed in teaching your children. Succeed in teaching your children. Go with me now to the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy, please. Page 290, Deuteronomy chapter 6. You've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book of your Bible. 
Here's a familiar verse that tells how the fathers are to be the one who teach the children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, please. And begin in verse 4. Page 290 for those using a church Bible. We need to succeed, to be a great dad, succeed in being a godly example, but also succeed in teaching your children. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be where? In thy heart. In other words, before you teach your children, they need to be in your life. Not only what you know, but all what you practice. Listen to me, dads. So many dads give that job to their wives or give that job to the church or the Christian school. And, that all, and nothing wrong with the wife teaching the children the Bible. Nothing wrong with Christian school. They ought to, and also Sunday school. But my, ultimately, whose responsibility it is? Dad, look in the mirror. It's yours. God says you are the one teaching Scripture. That means you need to understand Scripture. You need to study the Bible and be able to teach it to your children. And look in verse 7. And thou, speaking to dads, thou shalt teach them, talking about God's word, diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. But notice here, God's word, his commandments, were to be a subject of conversation both inside and outside the home. Also, from the beginning to the end of the day. I was, Dad, look for opportunities to teach biblical principles. A story I think I've shared in the past, but it just really talks about this. One time, my son and I went to the bank, and I had a check I was going to deposit and put in our account. I went up to the drive. My, dad's, my son said, Dad, what are you doing? So I explained what I'm doing. So I put the check in the thing out there, drive it. Remember, it sucks it up there and takes it in. And so the teller there evidently placed all, all that money in my account, plus gave me cash back. So all that money was in my account, and I had cash to put in my pocket. And, and uh, my son saw that. He said, Dad, that's not right. Now it would be easy for me to say, Jehovah Jireh. Look, I got money, put it in my bank, put it in my pocket. <laughs> but that was wrong. That would be stealing. So I said, son, let's go back inside. So we went parked the car, and we walked back inside. And I saw the tail. I said, ma'am, you made a mistake. And she got very defensive. How did I make a mistake? I told her what happened. She goes, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I have to come out of my pocket. But I'm trying to say, look for opportunities to teach biblical principles. And do it. And it, said, it talks about when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Look for the times to do that. Go with me down to Psalm 78, please. Psalm 78. You can let go of Deuteronomy. To be able to teach the Bible, we need to know the Bible. So it requires dad to do their own study, own reading of God's word, to be able to read or teach it to the children. Psalm 78, page 877. Here it talks about four generations of Christians learning the Bible. And the responsibility falls on fathers. Psalm 78, look in verse 1, please. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Verse 3, 
which we have heard and known, and our fathers have what? In other words, they basically said, this word God wants to know, our fathers taught us. Look in verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, his strength, his wonderful works he hath done. Verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their what? Notice this is a command for the father to teach children. In verse 6, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare it to their what? Notice there's four generations. The one speaking, I learned it from my father. I'm going to teach it to my children, which shall teach their own children. Four generations. But dad, if you want to be successful as a father, to be a great dad, it comes with teaching your children. Number three, the third thing we need to be successful, letter C, excuse me, to succeed as a godly example, <clears throat> succeed in teaching your children, and number three, succeed in victory over sin and temptation. To be a great dad, you need to be successful over sin, being victorious over sin and temptation. Turn to me, please. Every dad turn to me this verse. Go now to Numbers 14, please. Numbers 14, page 234. Here's a verse that's quite sobering and can be quite scary. Numbers 14, please. We're talking about how to be a great dad. And number two is talking about succeeding. And now we're talking about succeeding in your victory over sin and temptation. And why? Notice what the Bible says about the sins of the fathers. Numbers 14, please. Verse 18. It said, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. I want to say praise the Lord for that. But read on. And by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. We're saying God will visit the sins of the father to the children, to the children, children, and, and so on. Think of, you know there's an example of that in the Bible? How does the sin of the father pass down to the children? I believe in many ways as by a learned pattern of behavior. For example, Abraham, when the man of great faith in the Old Testament had a problem with lying. And his son learned that. In fact, in Genesis chapter 20, they went to an area of land and... Abraham got very scared because his wife was very pretty. And, and he told the king, this woman is my sister. Now, that was half true. <clears throat> it was half sister. But why did he lie? Because he was fearful for his life. He told his wife, tell that man that you're my sister, not my wife, lest he kill me and take you. So he lied. But guess who did the same thing? Isaac did. Isaac in chapter 26, the same situation. He went to a place, and Isaac told his wife, tell that man that you're my sister. And that's what Isaac uh, uh, said the same thing. So where did he learn lying like that? From his dad. How about Jacob? Did Jacob lie? Remember, he stole his brother's blessing when he went in and told his dad that I'm Esau. He lied. What did he learn it from? His dad. Where did he learn it from? His dad. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. How about Jacob's sons? Were they guilty of lying? Remember the ones who hated the brother because of favoritism? 
and sold him to slavery, took his coat, and put blood all over it, took it to the day, and said, animal killed our, our brother. They lied. The sins of Abraham passed on to Isaac, to Jacob, and his sons. My friend, if you can't live righteously for your own life, live it for your kids. Because again, your children may not be everything you want them to be, but chances are they'll be just like you. And the sins of the father many times becomes a learned pattern of behavior. How about anger? Many times dad have a problem with anger. And guess what? who learns it? The children. Guess who learns after that? Children's children. children. So basically, God says he visits the iniquity of the fathers unto the children to the third and fourth generation. So, but listen to this also, dads. What fathers do in moderation, your kids would do in excess. What fathers, what dads do in moderation, kids do in excess. Can you think of a biblical example of that? How about David and Solomon? Both had weakness toward women. David had eight wives and committed adultery with a woman who was not his wife. How many wives did Solomon have? 1,000. Talk about excess. So what David did in moderation had eight wives, which was against God's law. God's law says only one. He took eight. Solomon took 1,000, 700 wives and 300 concubines. So listen to me, dads. What you do as a little sin, not too big. What you do in moderation, your kids will do in excess. So if you can't live righteously for your own self, my friend, do it for your family. Do it for your kids. Let me give you steps of victory over temptation. If you have an area that you struggle with as a dad, let me give you steps to victory over temptation and sin. Go with me now to Psalms 1, please. Psalms 1. Psalms 1, page 825. Here are steps to victory over temptation and sin. Psalm 1. Again, page 825 for those of you in the church Bible. The first step is separation. The first step is separation. Look in verse 1. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed, means happy, is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Notice four words talk about a downward progression. They talk about walking, then standing, then sitting. In other words, they say, walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. In other words, they hang around ungodly people, and they walk when they begin to listen to their advice. Next, it says, nor standeth in the way of sinners. They, they're walking, now they're standing. He stops and observes their ways. He first listens to their advice, their counsel. Then he stops and watches their ways. Then lastly, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Sitteth meantime, he now dwells with and begins to practice their behavior. Walking, standing, and sitting. Those are downward progressions. So basically what he's talking about is that you ought to separate from people that are ungodly. Why should we separate from the ungodly? Because the Bible says evil companions corrupt good manners. You become like those you hang around with. So the first step of victory over temptation and sin is separation. Number two is gratification. Gratification. It says there in verse 2, it says, but... His delight is in the law of the Lord. The word delight means enjoyment, pleasure, gratification. How, dads, how much enjoyment do you find in God's word? How, how much gratification do you find spending in the Bible? You know something? I was thinking of this message. How blessed I am to be a pastor. You know why? 
because I'm paid to study the Bible. <laughs> I spend hours every week studying the Bible. I'm paid for it. Isn't that great? But I, I did it before I got paid because, my friend, I love the Bible. I love spending time in God's Word. And if you want to be successful and have victory over sin, you need to separate from the ungodly and find your gratification, not in the things in the world, but in God's Word. His delight is in the law of the Lord. The third step is meditation. Separation, gratification, meditation. The latter part of verse 2. And his delight in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he what? Meditate how often? Every Sunday. I'm sorry, I didn't say that. It says what? Day and night. To many dads, the only time Christian dads, they spend in the Bible is on Sundays. But it says meditate. It means ponder, contemplate, mull over, not only in the morning, day and night. And the result is, the verse 3, the latter part, whatsoever he does shall prosper. You want to be successful as a dad, you need to gain victory over sin, and you do that through separation, gratification, and meditation. Number three, last one. Our time is just about gone. Number three, the key ingredients to being a great dad is leading, succeeding, and lastly, depending. Depending. You know, one of the greatest joys of my life is being a dad. One of the most difficult things in my life is being a dad, trying to fulfill the things of Scripture. And the only way we can be a good dad is by depending upon the Holy Spirit to empower us. First of all, dependence for the dad, dependence upon Christ is required for salvation, eternal life. John 6, 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Look away, please. If you want to go to heaven when you die, if you want to have eternal life, you know what's required of you? Faith, or may I use the word dependence. It's not by what I do, but rather what Christ has done for me. And when I place my faith, my trust, dependence upon him, that brings salvation. So dependence is necessary for eternal life, but also dependence upon Christ is necessary for successful Christian life. Dependence upon Christ is necessary for successful Christian life. Colossians 2.6, as you have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. The same way you received him, you to walk in him. How do we receive him? By faith. The Christian life continues as it is commenced. It's commenced, it begins with faith. It continues by faith. Dependence upon Christ. It is the believer's daily dependence upon God that enables him to succeed in the Christian life. It's the believer's daily dependence upon God that enables him to be succeed in the Christian life. Many of you know Galatians 5.16. This is saying that then, walk in the spirit, should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The word walk means a continuous action. In order for me to be a victorious Christian, a great dad, I need to walk every day and dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Someone said this, the Christian life is a supernatural life. It'll only be accomplished in supernatural power. You can't do it in your own strength. You need the Lord as you depend upon him. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers the Father to be a great dad. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers the Father to be a great dad. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of what? His might. So, Dad, we'll conclude. Your ability to lead your family, 
to succeed as a father is based upon how much you depend upon the Holy Spirit. So three key ingredients. Again, I found a key ingredient for a good corn on the cob is butter and salt. Without it, I don't want it. <laughs> but a key ingredient to be a great dad is leading, is succeeding, and depending. Leading as the head of the home by loving and honoring your wife and disciplining your children. Succeeding in being a godly example and teaching your children and gaining victory over sin and temptation. And depending, depending upon the Lord to live the Christian life and be the dad God's called you to be. Go ahead and close your Bibles, please. Look up here. Remember the Christian life starts out and continues with the same one, dependence, faith. The Bible says, as you have therefore received the Lord Jesus, so walk ye in him. How do we receive the Lord? How do we go to heaven when we die? By faith, our trust dependence upon Christ. There is a philosophy in our world today. In fact, if you go door to door in your neighborhood and knock on the door, and you ask your neighbors, what do you think you have to do to go to heaven? What do you think you have to do to receive forgiveness from a holy God? Probably nine, nine out of ten would be what? Be good. Live a good life. Behave yourself. Do right. Try not to do wrong. Basically, they say it's your behavior that gets you to heaven. Good behavior. They say good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. That's what the men says. It's not what the Bible says. If you have to be good to go to heaven, how good do you have to be? You have to be as perfect, as righteous as God. You go, wait a minute, Pastor. That leaves us all out. Yes. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because you have sinned, you've earned something from God. You deserve something from the Holy God. The wages of sin is what? Death. It means separation. You have sinned against the Holy God, and your sins separate you from God. And if you die in your sin, you go to a place called hell forever separated from God. And the Bible says you cannot save yourself. Your works, your behavior, nothing wrong with doing good things. It will not pay for sin. And no matter how good you try to be, you cannot be good enough. So that's bad news, but here's the good news. But God commendeth his love, demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we had sinners, Christ died for us. My friend, the penalty of sin that you owe to God, Jesus paid for on the cross. When he died, he died in your place as your substitute to pay the debt that you owe. He died for your past sins, your present sins, and even your future sins. He paid the debt in full. And the Bible says, God says, I'll forgive you, I'll give you eternal life, and a home in my heaven through what my son did for you. Your part is by faith receive him as your savior. To trust him, take you to heaven when you die. Most of you have done that. But if you never have received Christ, why not do it today? The Bible says, but thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. You don't realize salvation is a gift. It costs you nothing. It costs God everything. It costs God his son. It costs his son his life. And through what he did for you, God said, I'll give it to you freely. Your part is to trust, depend upon Christ, as your only hope only means to go to heaven. Let's bow together, please. With the heads bowed and eyes are closed,
I believe most of you here today have already made that decision. There's a time in your life you understood that you were a sinner and you could not save yourself and you trusted Christ to save you. But maybe here today, either sitting in this auditorium or by live stream, you have never done that before. You've never trusted Christ to be your Savior, which means if you die without Christ, you will not go to heaven. My friend, why not get that settled today? A dad, the greatest thing you can leave to your children is the heritage of knowing Christ as Savior. If you never trusted Christ as a dad or mom or child, why not do it right now? Why not receive Christ to be your Savior so heaven will be your home? You say, Pastor, I've never done that before, but I'd like to do it today. My friend, you can do it right now. Right where you're sitting, you can talk to the God of heaven, and you can place your dependence, your trust in him to be your Savior. And the Bible says the moment you do that, he'll forgive you and give you eternal life. Heaven becomes your home. So if you've never done that before, why not do it right now? You say, Pastor, I like that. I like to do that. But I don't know what to say. Talk to God in your own thoughts and just say something like this. Just say, Dear God of heaven, I admit, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe that Jesus Christ was punished in my place. I believe when he died, he died for me. And God realizing I cannot save myself. I'm trusting Christ to save me. I'm trusting him to forgive me and to give me eternal life. How again? God, I'm a sinner. I owe a penalty. But Christ paid the penalty for me. And I'm trusting him to save me and forgive me and give me a home in heaven. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if that made sense to you and you right here today for the first time, you trusted Christ to be your Savior, I'd like to know that. I'd like to pray for you. I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you forward. I'm going to do it with heads bowed and eyes are closed. But I'd like to simply pray for you. So if you did that today for the first time, no one look around. But you're simply right where you're at. Just simply raise your hand in case you did that and put it back down. Pastor, here's my hand. I trusted Christ. Would you pray for me? Anyone all this morning that made sense to me? I trusted Christ to be my Savior. Would you pray for me today? Anyone at all? Heads are bowed and eyes still closed. Dads, is there something in your life that you need to change to be a great dad? Are you being the leader in your home? Leading by loving your wife? Leading by disciplining your children? Are you, are you succeeding? Succeeding as an example. Succeeding in disciplining your children. And are you depending upon the Lord? How many say, Pastor, I'm a dad, and I needed that message this morning. Pastor, would you pray for me? If that's your prayer as a dad, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? Yes, yes, several here. Pray for me, Pastor. I want to be a great, not just a good dad, I want to be a great dad. Pray for me. Father in heaven, we thank you for the several here today. By indication hand, indicated they want to be a, not just a good dad, but a great dad. They want to apply what we learned from scriptures today to be not only a leader, a succeeder, but one who depends upon the Lord to do all that. So, Father, we, I pray now for every home here that you help dads to be the dad they ought to be based upon the word of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.